0: Okay, let's uh, take a look at the reading this morning, uh, which is in 2 Kings 24 and 25, uh, page 380 of the Bible in the place that you are sat in, if, you've, uh, if you're drawing one of those. Uh, we're starting in 2 Kings 24 at verse 10. At that time, the officers of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, advanced on Jerusalem and laid siege to it. And Nebuchadnezzar himself came up to the city while his officers were besieging it. Johashan, king of Judah, his mother, his attendants, his nobles and his officials all surrendered to him. In the eighth year of the reign of king of Babylon, he took Johassian, prisoner, As the Lord had declared, Nebuchadnezzar removed the treasures from the temple of the Lord and from the royal palace and cut up the gold articles that Solomon, king of Israel, had made for the temple of the Lord. He carried all Jerusalem into exile, all the officers and fighting men, and all the skilled workers and artisans, a total of ten thousand. Only the poorest people of the land were left and we're moving to chapter 25 now starting at verse 8 on the seventh day of the fifth month in the 19th year of Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon Nebuchadnezzar commander of the imperial guard an official of the king of Babylon came to Jerusalem he set fire to the temple of the Lord the royal palace and all the houses of Jerusalem Every important building he burned down. The whole Babylonian army under the commander of the imperial guard broke down the walls around Jerusalem. Nebuzaradan, the commander of the guard, carried into exile the people who remained in the city, along with the rest of the populace and those who had deserted to the king of Babylon. But the commander left behind some of the poorest people of the land to work the vineyards and the fields. And now verse 18. The commander of the guard took as prisoners Sariah, the chief priest, Zephaniah, the priest next in rank, and the three doorkeepers. Of those still in the city, he took the officer in charge of the fighting men and five royal advisers. He also took the the secretary who was the chief officer in charge of conscripting the people of the land and 60 of the conscripts who were found in the city. Nebuzaradan, the commander, took them all and brought them to the king of Babylon at Riblah. There at Riblah, in the land of Hamath, the king had them executed. So Judah went into captivity away from her land.
1: So it's my pleasure to uh, invite the Reverend Dr. Janet Tollington to come and speak to us this morning. Um, This is a series, this exile series uh, is a series that she planned. um, And Janet has huge expertise in uh, the Old Testament, and so it's a real privilege to be able to welcome her this morning. Let's pray for her as she comes. Lord, as Janet brings this message of the exile and how that might relate to our experience now and encourages us and it challenges us through that message. We pray that we will be receptive to her words and that you'll open our ears to hear your voice in what she's saying to us. Lord, we pray you'll bless her and bless us as she speaks. Thank you, Father. Amen. Amen.
2: We've just heard the horrendous story of the downfall of Judah to the might of Babylon over a 10-year period, 596 to 586 BCE. A story of invasion, surrender, capture, sacrilegious looting, destruction, deportation, Execution of the chief priests and the royal officials. Events that would have had traumatic impact on everyone. But, once the exiles were in Babylon, there's absolutely no evidence that they were enslaved or treated harshly in any way at all. They were simply left to pick up the pieces of their life in exile. They were dumped down beside the river, midway between Babylon and one of the other great cities. Think about the refugee camps, the migrant camps, that we hear about today. See on our news. Great groups of people dumped and left to get on with it, to make something out of their situation, but without the aid agencies. Initially, the focus of everyone would have been on survival. Where's our next meal coming from? And who's going to prepare it? Building shelters with whatever materials they could find. Establishing some sense of order, cohesion in the community. Where none of the old routines of life were possible. They just couldn't do things in the way they used to do them. And they certainly couldn't worship because the temple was back in Jerusalem and they were miles away. And all that the priests used to do, they couldn't do. Nobody could do anything that they used to do and all the leaders couldn't lead in the same way. So to begin with, it's... Try and get some order in life and some safety. But then they began to reflect on what had happened, on why it had happened. Why hadn't God protected them? When the Assyrians had invaded the northern kingdom of Israel many years before, they in Judah had trusted God and Judah had been vindicated. The northern kingdom had fallen, but Jerusalem and the temple had stood firm. This proved that they, Judah, were in the right. Their neighbors in Israel had been apostate. Israel's monarchy was illegitimate. God was on Judah's side. They were the true chosen people through whom God would rule over the whole world or so they had thought. Suddenly, all that they believed about God, all that they thought they understood about themselves and about God's ways and God's purposes, everything was thrown into confusion and into doubt. Babylon and the Babylonian gods had defeated them and their own God, Yahweh had done nothing to help. What was going on? Where could they turn for help? Whose fault was it? Why, why, why? Just loads and loads of questions. Why are we in this mess? Why is life turned upside down? Why can't it go back to being comfortable where we knew what was happening? Why can't we carry on as we always have done? Why can't it all be sorted out? Why? And the more they started to reflect the deeper became the crisis of their faith. God had promised the land to their ancestors for all generations as a dwelling place for them to live secure. And now they'd been removed from it. That promise seemed to have been broken. God had promised a king from the line of David to rule over them forever. King Jehoiakim was now imprisoned and there would never be a king of the line of David on the throne again. That promise seemed to have been broken. God had chosen Jerusalem as the place to make the divine name dwell and the temple as the place where God was present in the Holy of Holies, in the midst of the people, where they could know and relate to God and worship God. And Jerusalem and the temple were in ruins. Was God dead underneath? Crushed? Was God humbled? Was God powerless to help them? Defeated by Babylonian gods. Or was God still active, but they believed that God was the God of Israel and the territory. Was God active over there? But because they're out of the land, they're beyond reach of God. Or was God unwilling to help them? Were they no longer the chosen people? Were they a rejected people? Had God abandoned them? All their certainties, all their confidence had been shaken up. Now, I'm not suggesting that a vacancy is quite as bad as all of that. But I hope you can see some connections of where the things that you were familiar with, the things that were nice and orderly, the systems, the structures that were all in place, have gone, have been disturbed. And it's not clear quite where you are and who you are and who's doing what. And you wish it could all go back to being nice and neat and tidy, but it can't be. You're in a new place. But the people in exile, they could either turn their back on their old faith and say, We got it wrong, and they could throw in their lot with the Babylonians, whose gods seemed to be powerful, and follow their ways. Or they could think again. Have we got this right? Have we understood who we are, who God is, what the covenant's all about? Or heaven forbid, might it be that we've got it wrong and we've got some things to learn? Praise God, they took that line and said, it might be us that need to see things differently. I wonder if God perhaps is still the covenant God and has a new future for us, but it's not quite the way we thought it was going to be. Let's remember what God did through the whole story of who we are And how we came to be in the place, Jerusalem, of what God had done, bringing us from being a scattered people, bringing us out from slavery, bringing us into the land, bringing us to be a nation. Moving us on a journey, and at each stage on that journey, we've actually been very different people and needed to respond to God and relate to God and to each other and to our neighbours in differing ways. Sometimes we felt weak, sometimes we felt strong, and it's when we've been weakest that we have discovered God at God's strongest and doing new and exciting things for us. God, as we look back, has never done the same thing twice. Don't remember the former things in the sense of wanting to go back there, says God. I'm doing new things and leading you somewhere fresh. The problem was they'd put God in a box. They'd limited God. They thought they knew what God did and how God did it and where they fitted in. And God was bursting out of the box, refusing to be restricted, and saying, I'm doing something new. Are you coming with me from your position of confusion and uncertainty? Because I'm on the move. And there is a new and exciting future for you, but it's not going to look like anything you've known before. There'll be touching places that are the same. But don't hang on to those. Look at what God has for you. And what they did during exile was they found themselves to be transformed. They found themselves, instead of being despondent and hopeless, with renewed faith. They discovered new things about God and their picture of God was expanded phenomenally. They came to recognize that there was only one God. God hadn't been defeated by the Babylonian gods. God had worked through the Babylonians to put them in a place that disturbed them because only then were they able to see new possibilities. They began to look in a bigger way and see the world differently, and the whole idea of God as creator emerged in exile. They just hadn't thought about those things. Genesis 1 is written after the exile, not before. They hadn't thought of God as creator. They looked back and remembered that actually God had said a king wasn't a good idea and so had the prophets. But they'd said they wanted one. And it had all gone pear-shaped and proved to be hopeless, and they discovered that God was the true heavenly king and that was all they needed. They were never going to be the same again, but God's promises were not broken. But they saw them in a new and bigger way and recognised that the future would be wonderful if they would go with that God into the unknown And let God reveal new things to them. And be open to new possibilities. For God is a God who is faithful and true. Whose purposes will not be thwarted. And who will never let us stay in a comfort zone. In the weeks to come, you'll be thinking about God as creator. God as the only God and king. Who doesn't repeat God's self. And also, what it means to be servants of that God. Which is all about being a light to the nation and letting God work in you and through you to bring salvation to the ends of the earth.
0: Amen.